This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How's everybody doing here on a Tuesday? Chris Brown, Manny Club, in here with you. We'll be with you till 3. Thanks for joining us. Plenty to get to today, and we will tick off the boxes one by one. Uh, have a fun discussion topic for you today, but as everybody knows by this point, unless you were living under a rock, <laughs> today is the trade deadline for the NFL, 4 p.m., so three hours from now will be doors closing on any trade business in the league. There has been some activity already, Maddie, and the bills have been reported to be working the phones to some degree. We'll get to all of that here in short order. Happy Halloween, by the way. And I don't know if you saw this, Maddie, but we know that California passes an inordinate number of laws outlawing stuff that is not like remotely harmful to humans. Like it's off the list immediately <laughs> in the state of California, you know, like emissions laws, all this stuff, mm-hmm. food, anything. So my wife alerted me to this story. California has outlawed certain foods that contain ingredients that have a history of causing cancer in humans. On Halloween of all days, one of the things on the list is Skittles. Oh, yeah. I heard about that, that they were outlawing Skittles. Yeah. And I guess there was some other fruit by the foot thing. Mm -hmm. That's out. And then there were two other things on the list. But I was like, wow, dropping the hammer. Like, if you're you're a kid in California, that stuff is like black black market candy. That was like us growing up um, on, what was it, on 4th of July, going across the border from Illinois to Indiana to go buy fireworks, to be able to light those fireworks off in Illinois because we could not buy the, the ones that we wanted in Illinois. So we had to go to Indiana to buy them. Oh, so okay. Cross it, state lines to go and grab your Skittles, kids. I get it. I, <laughs> well, hold on. I just double-checked. So they said the law apparently isn't going in effect until 2027. You get a couple S- more Halloween. Stock up now. <laughs> Stock up now. What are they going to do over there? Like, what do you do in California if it's 2027? And, I mean, what are they going to do? Do search warrants in people's houses? I, we, we heard there's a secret stash of Skittles here. They're going to break in and confiscate the can. <laughs> I don't know, man. That, California, tough state. Tough state. I mean, I respect the... I respect the intent right. of the law but at the same time the easy fix would just be skittles can just alter the recipe alter the ingredients yeah, right? to where Have, it's safe for come everybody come up with a different formula yeah and really i think it's i think a lot of it is the coloring i think it's additives. the dye and yeah, yeah that's that's the issue so just go with like all white skittles or I'd still all one color where the dye is not got cancer causing issues so, I don't know. They're going to have to get creative, I think, if they want to sell Skittles in California. Off-brand Skittles. Yeah, off-brand <laughs> Skittles. Nice. Yeah. Uh, not your dad's Skittles or mom's Skittles. But, yeah. So, okay, the clock is ticking in California. So not you'll be okay this year and for a couple more years, but you may want to start stocking up now uh, if you live in the state of California because it's going to be rough out there if that's your – because I, I, I'm just telling you, I like know a lot of people – like that's in their top three for candies. Mm-hmm. What did? What are? Do you have a top three, real quick? I'm Reese's all the way. Oh, so you're a peanut butter cup. Yeah, peanut butter cup. Where's? So here's the other interesting 
thing on that because my wife is equally addicted to peanut butter cups, but she is not a fan of Reese's Pieces at all. Like, won't even go near them. Mm. So she's more towards the peanut M and M. She'll do that. I like the peanut M and M. She'll do more that. Well, Reese's I don't know Pieces. anybody that doesn't like those yeah. unless those the poor incredible. kid's got a peanut allergy. Mm. But I always find it interesting that people can be huge fans of the Reese's cup, but not even look a second, take a second glance at a Reese's Pieces bag. Yeah, I'd probably pass up a Reese's Pieces bag. Okay. You've, you've tried them, though? I'll the, enjoy them. Yeah, I like them, okay. but there's probably other things that I would like more. Okay. So Reese's is the top. Do Reese's you have a, is the do top. You have, so no Reese's. Where are you going next? Um... They, this is not a popular candy anymore, That's but it had its moment for a couple years. The Take Fives. Oh, okay. Those are really good. All right. I like those. Or I like the um, Milky Way Midnights. Those are really good. Oh, the dark chocolate mm-hmm. ones. Gotcha. Yeah, I would, I would say Milky Way is the top one for me. Frozen, preferably. Have you ever? Do you freeze candy bars? My dad would do that all the time yeah, growing I, up. I almost will good. not eat a room temperature mm-hmm. Milky Way. You know, unless we're at a party and they haven't been put on ice. <laughs> but if I've got one at home, it goes right in the freezer because i that's just the way I've got to eat them. Twix is big for me. That's probably number two. I don't know if I have a number three. It would probably be like some kind of fruity candy like a Skittles. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would be Skittles, though. I'm trying to. Th- oh, you know what I like? And now I'm going to sound like a senior citizen here, but I love Mike and Ike's. Just... They get stuck in your teeth a lot, yeah. but I still like them. So that's probably my top three. All right. Not bad. I know my wife would approve of your list, so good yeah. job. Chocolate all the way. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, okay. Well, let's get to uh, the point of the show today here on this Halloween NFL trade deadline. And we already know that one relatively large transaction is about to go down. It's been reported as it's happening. Whether it's been finalized remains to be seen. But we know that the Bears and the Commanders are making a swap. Basically, the Bears are going to get some much-needed pass rush help, Maddie. They have 10 sacks on the season. They are the worst pass-rushing team in football. But they are going to acquire Commanders defensive end Montez Sweat, which, as we know, Washington, a team loaded with defensive linemen. And in exchange, they're getting a second-round pick next year. In 2024, Sweat's in the last year of his deal. So the commanders, probably knowing they've paid Deron Payne a lot of money, Jonathan Allen a lot of money, and they're probably going to have to pay Chase Young here soon if they don't trade him too, because apparently they're taking calls on him as well. So you just knew you weren't going to be able to pay him as well. So, yeah, get a second-round asset for Montez Sweat. It's a good deal for Washington, I think, and – Hopefully he helps the Bears. And the Bears are in need of somebody who can help with that pass Boy, rush. If they? you got 10 sacks on the season, for comparison, the Bills have 28, and they're up at the top of the league. 10, we're through almost nine NFL games here. That's rough. That's like barely won a game. Yeah. Now, the Bears aren't usually playing from ahead very often, so that can compromise it, but that's an anemic mm-hmm. number. Like a re- That's anemic. It's tough. Uh, according to ESPN NFL reporter Ed Werder, The 49ers and Bills are among those teams discussing potential trades for Bears cornerback Jalen Johnson. The Cowboys were rumored to be involved, but they have not been confirmed to be a team in the mix at this point. 
So based on reports, it appears it's a two-horse race for Jalen Johnson. Tall, rangy corner, 6'3", 209, big corner. And we know the Bills like tall, long corners. And we'll have to see. What does it take to land this guy? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to check and see. We just saw a defensive end go for a second. I mean, this guy is starting caliber. He was drafted in the second round. Second round pick. So does it take a two to pry him away from Chicago? We'll have to see. It's it's interesting. And I think we kind of anticipated they might be looking in that direction, at least in terms of the position, just due to the season-ending injury of Tredavious White. Mm -hmm. They're for whatever reason, decision to not have Kyrie Elam up and active on game day. So if you're not activating that guy and you're down Tredavious White, you are thin at the position, so much so that they elevated Josh Norman from the practice squad for last week's game, and he played on some kickoff coverage. Um, it's, it's interesting, and I think for the most part, he's been a pretty productive player. So... Makes sense. I get it. What's the cost? I yeah. think is the big. That's, what <laughs> that's the big say. question. What are right? you going to have to give up to get somebody like that? So that'll be interesting to see. Hey, if it's going to make your team better, we talked about this yesterday. Brandon Bean will do everything he can to make his team better according to how much money they have to offer, what their cap space is like, and what they're willing to give up in draft picks. This is a staff, a scouting department that does like their draft picks and will try to get more when they can, um, especially some later round picks. Um, toward the end of drafts, we've seen Brandon Bean trade uh, – trade back and try to acquire more picks as, as we're going through an NFL draft. And you got to value a first and a second and a third round draft pick in any year. And it, the question is, yeah, what is it going to cost? Is, is this cornerback worth a second? Is he going to cost a second? Um, what are those conversations like? You would assume the Bears are going to try and get as much as they can for a cornerback who's been a contributor on their team. So we'll see what happens here. Yeah, I mean, he's had a nice career. He's been a starter since he came to the Bears in 2020, full-time starter. Uh, has missed some games here and there. Not a lot, but some. Only started 11 games last year, had an injury. Um, this year, in six starts, he's got two interceptions, including one that he took back for a touchdown, 39 yards, four pass breakups, one forced fumble. Um, he only has three interceptions his entire career, one of those came in his second year in the league, and then the other two, as I mentioned, came earlier this season. So you can let us know if you like that. If you had any other thoughts on the trade market, feel free to chime in. But we also have a topic of discussion today that concerns the season thus far. And what we're putting on the table for you is approaching this halfway mark of the season now, which Bills player has surprised you the most? And I guess this could be taken in a positive way or a negative way. Um, but which player on Buffalo's roster has surprised you the most through the first eight games? I think there are some pretty easy candidates to put on this list. Uh, I don't think because there are a good number of players where we didn't quite know what to expect, mm -hmm. whether they've been on the field the last couple of years or they're new to the lineup. I think there's a handful of players that you could kind of nominate for this. Do you have any that come straight to your head, like right off the top? 
I would say right off the top, just because we weren't sure the role he was going to have on this team, we knew he was going to have some type of role. How how much that would be, what it would look like, not exactly sure. We're seeing that now. Leonard Floyd has okay. been a, a good surprise. I think we know what, how productive he he has been in this NFL league and coming into his time with the Bills, he had, what, 29 and a half sacks in, in three seasons, yeah, the, the last, last three, three seasons, seasons heading right. into um, his first year with the Bills and and leads the Bills in sacks right now and has been a productive player for them. So it's been nice to see what he can do on the edge, holding that down uh, while Von Miller has been out and not part of the lineup. We know Von Miller is back, so it'll be interesting to see how um, the defensive ends kind of split time between Greg Rousseau, Von Miller, and Leonard Floyd because because all of them have been producing. I know Von Miller is, is still in his ramp-up period, but I would expect he would start producing here soon enough. But, yeah, Leonard Floyd, I think, has been a nice surprise in my eyes. Yeah, the first name that came to mind for me, because we didn't really know anything about him, and then all of a sudden he's starting, is Terrell Bernard. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew he was a smart, instinctive player, so I thought that would get him around the ball a good amount, but... I mean, the guy's like at the top of the league in fumble recoveries. I mean, he's got a lot of crooked numbers in a lot of defensive categories. And, I mean, it, was, it wasn't like, hey, you know, he's kind of coming on now. You know, like right from the start. Like <laughs> I know, he it was, was crazy. It was crazy. Producing big time interceptions, fumble recoveries, sacks, tackles. Like, I understand he's right in the middle of the defense, so he is going to rack up stats. But the splash play stats is what has surprised me. Mm-hmm. And kudos to him, man. The guy waited for his opportunity. It showed up, and he made the most of it. So for me, it's it's Bernard as the most pleasant surprise yep. for me this season by far. I mean, there are other guys that we can mention, and that's why we're going to ask you at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, who are the players on this Bills roster that have surprised you the most through the first half of the season? We're going to go to the phones, although we do have an open line for you, 803-0550, and we lead off today with Dan in Vermont. What do you got for us, Dan? Hey, I'm excited to share with you some uh, unique and well-researched data-backed observations on the Bills offense. Okay, let her rip. And why it hasn't performed up to its capabilities. All right, so after the Carolina game, Eric came on the show and said something like, the Bills need to go back to the drawing board and determine what's working. And to that, I'd add, and what's not working, and why it is or isn't working. Now, for some quick background, I've been closely monitoring Josh Allen, both from a film analysis and data perspective since 2019. And the first wave of conclusions were the basis for the video, Josh Allen is better than you think which was really popular among Bills fans, and I suspect a lot of your listeners have seen, and was the first to predict the breakout of Josh Allen in 2020 and why I thought that was destined to happen. So similarly, at the beginning of this year, I performed another intensive film review and data study of how the Bills might be able to take the offense to the next level, which I think is going to be necessary if they're going to compete for a Super Bowl championship this year. And the main question answered in both those videos is what is and what isn't working for the Bills' offense and why. So, all right, to start, there's the obviously there's the publicly available data that I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with, like, for instance, Allen's next-gen chart from 2022, right? which clearly demonstrates that the Bills are extremely effective when throwing the ball 10 or more yards down the field. 
and simply average throwing the ball inside of 10 yards. And then there's the like NFELO scatter plot that shows that the Bills are average at best at running the ball in 2022 in terms of expected right. points. But Dan, what did what did okay, your what did your most recent data find? Here. I'm here. Here we go. So what I wanted to share with you is that after watching the 2022 game film, the greatest determining factor of success of offensive plays was how bodies were aligned at the snap. Specifically, how many bodies were lined up in what I'll call the wide sections of the field. That is in or outside of the numbers. Right. So to test my hypothesis, I charted every play in 2022 where Allen was the quarterback. And one thing I took note of in the charting is how many bodies were aligned in the wide sections of the field. And what resulted was a screaming statistical signal. Like, here's the EPA per play in various alignments in 2022. Four wide, again, bodies in or outside the numbers, 0.71 points per play. Okay. Three wide, 0.38 points per play. And two wide, 0.24 points per play. Still easily performing the league average. But in the more congested formations, where there's just one body out in or outside the yeah, numbers. Yeah, like 12 personnel. Exactly. Well, I mean, the personnel doesn't necessarily matter as much as physically where the bodies are. Now, that's right. something that you don't have data on. But, all right, so what, what would be the reasons for that, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's because it kind of enables all three of Allen's quote-unquote superpowers. One, he's hands down the best game in the game at making direct downfield throws to what I'll call I call acute angles in the videos or situations yeah. where you can I see mean, we the can't, numbers. We can't dissect the whole thing, Dan. we got other people holding, but basically what you're saying is spread it out and Josh is more effective. Am I, am I yeah, getting the gist it of it? A, spread it, yeah, spread it out in a more, like in a way, not a traditional like air raid way, but more bodies wide. Yeah, yeah the video is called, for anyone yeah. that wants to look at it, it's Josh Allen and the Buffalo Stampede. All right. Thanks very much, Dan. It. Appreciate the time. we got to move along, though. we got other people holding. We can't do a dissertation here all day on the show. Uh, appreciate the data, though. And I think we saw evidence of that last week when they spread the field considerably more, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the Bills kicked into gear much earlier in the game than we had seen in recent weeks. Yeah, when you're spreading the ball out like that, you also, the defense has to account for where guys are, what they're doing, who's going to be productive, who who's up, who's down, who's who's having a good game, and and that's that puts more on an opposing defense to figure out, to deal with, and to adjust at halftime, and, and the Bills did a great job of, of using multiple weapons and still keeping their talented guys consistent. Like, Stefan Diggs still had a great game. Yeah, and when you spread the field, the reads are easier for Josh, because the defense can't disguise as effectively. They have to kind of declare who's covering who uh, or who's in what general area. So when you force a team to defend the width of the field as well as the depth, it can lead to more positive results. You always have to factor in who you're playing, though, and the quality of their pass rush, which is going to impact how many bodies you got to keep in to protect effectively and consistently so the ball can be delivered. So there is a give and take there. You know, you can't just spread it out every week if you're playing the best pass rushing unit in football. Like the Eagles, you may <laughs> want to spread it out a little bit, but you may not be able to because you can't block it up effectively to complete plays. Let's go back to the phones, though, and to Blaine in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Blaine? Okay. I don't have any uh, information or 
data. To That's back quite all right, Blaine. Not to worry. <laughs> okay. Uh, first thing, quick housekeeping thing, Chris. How come or could you point a webcam at the stadium site and run it on, you know, buffalobills.com so we can see the progress of the, you know, stadium build? I don't get to the South Towns often, so that would be something I'd like. Okay. don't know if it's possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a note of it. See what I thought the video team was putting a time-lapse camera up for that, and I think periodically they might be providing video mm-hmm. updates on buffalobills.com, but I'll have to double-check on that for you. Yeah, just run it. You know, I don't know if it might get expensive to run it all the time, but whatever. Um, number two, um, you took my person. I had uh, um, uh, the, the linebacker you Bernard, had. Bernard, yeah. Bernard, yeah. I wasn't a fan of him or the new guy uh, this year at, in the third round. I thought undersized linebackers were a mistake. Looks like Brandon B knows a little bit more than I do. No big surprise. Lastly, do you think we were in, and if we were not, why not on the Leonard Williams deal with the Giants? I mean, they're Buffalo Bills East over there. You know, I would have thought, you know, we might have had a little bit of an end. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. Um based on the connection, you know, Joe Shane and all of that stuff. And he didn't cost a lot, um, you know, at 1.1 in terms of base salary last year of his deal. So, yeah, I get what you're saying. He could have fit under the cap here. I, I got to be honest with you. I know he was a former first-round pick. I haven't been impressed with how he's played probably the last three years in the league. I don't know what it is. He just doesn't show up enough for me. And – I can use the Giants game here a few weeks ago against the Bills as a prime example. I didn't notice him once, and I'm watching every single play of that game. For whatever reason, I I just don't see it enough from him for the caliber of physical talent that he is. Now, maybe he just needed a change of scenery. Maybe he goes to Seattle and he goes off. I don't know. And I guess you could make the same argument if if he came here. Maybe he flourishes, you know, being the best version of himself, like Mm -hmm. Sean McDermott always says. I suppose it's possible, but there are certain players in this league that might be uber-talented, but they just don't fit what we hear Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott say all the time about Bill's DNA. And if you're the kind of guy that has boatloads of talent, but it doesn't manifest manifest itself in week-to-week consistency in your play, you're probably not a fit here under Sean McDermott. Yeah. In the game that he played against us, he didn't have a quarterback hit. He didn't have a sack. He only has one and a half sacks on the season. I know we're we're halfway through the season, so this number could increase. But yeah, I agree. And you look at the unit that we have and, and you think about the position groups across this roster and maybe needs across this roster, and I, I wouldn't put defensive line up there at the top for for guys that you should be looking around for um especially a guy that while he could fit under the cap and it may not be that expensive it's like we kind of already have those guys who who are yeah. productive in this I mean, system that's why and, and have Puna proved Ford. themselves yeah that's why you signed Puna Ford late in free agency you know you still have Tim Settle here look I, I'd be the first person to tell you I wish they still had Daquan Jones but when True. he went down, along with Milano and then Tredavious White the week prior, I was most concerned about the linebacker spot and the corner spot in terms of depth more than I was defensive tackle just because of who the – I mean, Puna Ford was a healthy and active. That guy's starting for probably 12 to 14 teams in the league somewhere else. So knowing they had him in reserve, 
kind of gave me at least, you know, and I thought Puna Ford had a really solid game last week against the Bucks. Might have been his best game in a Bills uniform. So, yeah, I, and I think to Maddie's point, that probably had something to do with it too. They have depth there. They don't need to go searching for more necessarily, even if it is affordable. But I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't over the moon on the player either. Let's not forget the Giants, who are a two and six football team, just threw him overboard. So they probably didn't think a whole lot of him as well. Eight oh three oh five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty is the number to call. As we are asking you at the halfway point of the season, which Bills player has surprised you the most? Uh, I picked Bernard. One of our callers did. Maddie likes Leonard Floyd's season, and who wouldn't uh, with the numbers he's put up so far? But there are other candidates, I believe, on this list. So you let us know what you think. Uh, got open lines for you at eight oh three oh five fifty. But in the meantime, we will go to the tweet sheet, which is brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Bills News Consolidated says, Osiris Torrance has surprised me the most because he is a rookie and has played arguably the best at right guard than anyone else in the McDermott era. It has been a little bit of a revolving door there at that position under head coach Sean McDermott. We've had the likes of John Feliciano, John Miller, Ryan Bates, uh, Cody Ford. There have been a, it has been a turnstile. And so to get some stability at that position, not to mention some good play. I mean, look, there were some growing pains there the mm-hmm. first few weeks, but he's kind of really rounded into form of late, which is what you kind of hope as you go through a player's rookie season. Yeah, right? and to have somebody that you're not just plugging and playing in that position who who may be an older player on the roster, who may be in his 10th season or, you know, 8th season. This is a guy that's in his first NFL season, and you love when you can find somebody like that, especially in a role within the offensive line where you need to have a lot of chemistry at that position to have a guy who can be here for the long term. I mean, that's great to have him playing at the level that he's been playing at. Uh, This could be a guy who could really be a solid piece on the line for a long time. You've had Mitch Morse hold down that center spot for a while now. You've had Deion Dawkins hold down that left tackle spot for a while. To have that consistency in a group that needs chemistry, I think, uh, says a lot of good things for this line in the future. We've been seeing them play at a high level this season, and it's because of guys like Osiris Torrance and and Connor McGovern and being able to fit in and work with that group. Yeah, because Spencer Brown's in his third year at the right tackle spot as well. So some consistency, some mm-hmm. continuity goes a long way on an offensive line, as we all know. Break time for us here, but when we return, we're going to have our first guest of the show today. It is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Going to talk to him a little bit about not only the trade market, But Leonard Fournette, the most recent addition to Buffalo's roster, albeit on the practice squad, will ask about what he can offer at this point in his career to the Bills of him when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live here on a Tuesday. Chris Brown, Matty Glad with you. Pleased to be joined now by analyst for Pro Football Focus, one Brad Spielberger back on the show here. Brad, good to have you back. How you been? Uh, I've been great. Thanks for having me. Happy uh, Halloween and trade deadline. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. Happy Halloween and trade deadline. That's right. Uh, 
wonder how many people are dressing up like Roger Goodell today. Uh, yeah, so let, let's begin here. There's you know a pretty sizable trade that's already kind of happened and been finalized with Montez Sweat going from Washington to Chicago. We understand the move in light of how horrible Chicago's pass rush has been. Um, but now we hear, like, Washington's taking calls on Chase Young, and while I understand you can't pay all of those guys and they've given them tons of money – you know, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, they both got paid. Chase Young, you're going to have to pay too. Are, are the, is Washington having second thoughts about the level of investment in that defensive line and maybe spreading that money around to the rest of the roster? It is pretty interesting if they do ultimately move off of both. You know, I expected one of the guys to move, then the other, maybe a franchise tag candidate, maybe an extension candidate. But if they also move Chase Young, who I do think the knee injury, I know he's looked great this season, but I do think that knee injury is a concern not only in Washington, but in other clubs as well. Yeah, maybe they did feel like, hey, we paid two guys at this position. We feel now we can maybe draft some young players, sign some lesser talent in free agency, and they can just win off the edge because of the the attention being commanded on the interior. But it's it certainly is interesting to move off two former first round pick edge rushers, both of which have been both of which have been awesome this season. And the Bills add to their roster, their practice squad, that is, with Leonard Floyd being added. <laughs> Leonard Floyd. Leonard Fournette. I was just talking <laughs> about Leonard's I was now. just talking about Leonard Floyd last segment. Uh, Leonard Fournette now at the running back position, not a part of the defensive line room. But what does he add to the roster? We know it's just a practice squad addition, so you gotta take that um, into into thinking about everything when you add a player like this. But what do you think he can bring to the room if he is elevated to play. Yeah, I think you have seen just, just not a lot of success in the short yarded situations from Latavius Murray so far this season. Obviously, Damian Harris probably was going to factor into that usage as well. And so, you know, Tampa was a bit of a tough end, but that offensive line could not really block. And so I think you bring in a guy that historically is awesome in short yardage, can churn those legs, get you those key first downs. Obviously, a very different build and skill set than a James Cook. But one thing that maybe he also adds is he's a great pass blocker and he's a capable pass catcher, not going to break off big explosive receptions like a James Cook, but it always helps to keep Josh Allen upright. And then maybe you do leak out and get a couple small care, uh, catches here and there. Um, I like the fit for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, Damian Harris on IR as well, you know, that thinned the crop a little bit. So, you know, veteran insurance, you're never going to say no to that, especially when you can get a player of that caliber. You know, we hear, according to some reports, the Bills could be in the market for a corner. They're supposedly making calls to the Bears about Jalen Johnson, who's a popular trade candidate after he asked and received permission permission to seek a trade. Um, first, what do you think the likelihood is that Johnson is moved? And second, what do you think it's going to take to pry him away from Chicago in terms of compensation? Yeah, I think generally whenever a team gives a player and his agent the right to go out and talk to other clubs, it's a pretty good signal that, that a, a move might happen. And I also think Chicago sending out a second-round pick for Montez Sweat, maybe in their mind they view these two moves somewhat together. I'm not sure Johnson gets a second-round pick in return compensation. He's also probably going to need an extension. That's obviously why he's pushing his way out of Chicago. And so maybe that acquiring team, I do think Buffalo is heavily involved here. I think San Francisco is another team to monitor they might want to work out at least the framework of an extension beforehand so 
I would say only if it's a true bidding war do I see a second. Otherwise, I think maybe two-thirds or, or something in that category, certainly a day-two pick at least, will be involved here for a very good young corner. Somebody else who wants to be traded, wants to look outside of the team he's currently on, and a productive wide receivers, uh, wide receiver Dev- Devontae Adams, who we kind of have known the last couple of years that, or at least this offseason as well, have known that he might want to go elsewhere, might want to play elsewhere. So what do you think it would take to trade for a wide receiver like Devontae Adams? Yeah, the tough part here is if the Raiders cut bait, they'd effectively be paying about $45 million for about 25 games of, of Devontae Adams, which is not the greatest uh, you know, return on investment when you also factor in the first and second round pick. And obviously... I do think you're still garnering a first-round pick plus in a move for Adams because an extremely team-friendly deal would be on the move then with him because the Raiders give him a massive signing bonus. A ton of that would be dead cap left behind in Las Vegas, which is why I don't think they're going to move him because the sunk cost here is exorbitant. But, yeah, I think a first and maybe a third or something you know, right in the wheelhouse of that original trade, um, I I just don't think the Raiders are going to be comfortable doing it. Maybe this offseason. I don't think about today. We wondered if, you know, the quarterback market was going to be part of this day in light of all the injuries at the quarterback position uh, over the past couple of weeks. And a guy who was filling in for an injured quarterback now apparently has a new destination. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting the Vikings are trading for Josh Dobbs with the Cardinals. So guy's been in the lineup. It's not like you're signing a backup. You've got a guy that's you know, going to be playing for the Vikings here, knowing Kirk Cousins is done for the season. The question here is, how quick can you get him up to speed and into the lineup? They have Nick Mullins, and they have the rookie uh, there as well, who I can't. His name is uh, escaping me right now. Darren Hall out of BYU. Thank you, the thank you. Darren Hall. That's right. Yeah. So, how quick does that guy get up to speed? I mean, it helps that he's been on the field, but it's it's a different system. It is a different system. I think there are two interesting connections here that maybe help a little bit. He doesn't know Kevin O'Connell, the head coach, uh, you know, or Wes Phillips, the the offensive coordinator. However, Jonathan Gannon came up with the Minnesota Vikings, you know, the last couple a couple of years ago now. But he was there for a long time, and also. Dobbs actually shares an agent with uh, Kirk Cousins. So there are a couple of connections there that maybe can help facilitate getting him up to speed a little bit quicker. Um, I'm not sure if he plays this Sunday for Minnesota. Maybe he does. we got to remember, he was traded two weeks before week one in Arizona uh, and and made the start there. It helps to be a rocket scientist, uh, even at quarterback in the NFL. (laughs) That is funny. Yeah, he is a smart guy for sure. So we talked running back room for the Bills, the addition of Leonard Fournette. Uh, We talked the possibility of adding somebody to the defensive backs unit. Is there any other position group that you think would be smart for the Bills to to check out here with just a couple hours remaining before the trade deadline hits? Yeah, I think those two are the most obvious. I guess I would throw in one more is maybe add a little bit of speed at wide receiver. You know, maybe a guy like Adarna Mooney, also in Chicago, a Terrace Marshall in Carolina, two, you know, young former second round or former second round pick in Terrace Marshall, former fifth rounder in Darnell Mooney. But, you know, guys that can separate downfield, that can win in the deep part of the field and maybe clear some room underneath for all these guys and Kincaid and Stephon Diggs and a lot of these guys that win in the intermediate. I think maybe it's one more thing to consider. But I do think corner, um, maybe linebacker, I suppose, with the injuries. Um, and, and like you mentioned, you know, I think th- those make the most sense. And then just last question I got for you, Brad, is which other teams, maybe besides Chicago, 
are we expecting to be active in terms of being sellers? You know, we've heard Tennessee might be shipping some people out, but after the performance by Will Levis last week, does that change the dynamic there? What are some of the teams that we still expect to be sellers today before, you know, the deadline passes? Yeah, I do think Tennessee might might change their perspective now. Keep guys like Derrick Henry and DeAndre Hopkins in tow for, for Will Levis, the rookie quarterback who looked great in that game. You know, I still think Chicago could make some moves. I think Minnesota could also, you know, sell off a player now that they're adding a quarterback. Like offensive guard Ezra Cleveland is an interesting name to me now that Dalton Risner is starting for them. He's in a contract year. Uh, Cleveland is. So, yeah, but I think it is going to be a little bit less active because a lot of those teams have won in recent weeks, which maybe changes how they view things. You know, I think Washington was the, was the big seller of the day, and clearly they're not done. Are there any names that we haven't covered that we should be watching out for with just a couple hours left here? We covered some of the hotter names that have been floated out there, but any other ones that you think, you know, could be on the chopping block come this afternoon? One that's interesting, potentially for Buffalo specifically, there's obviously a million connections between, you know, this Carolina staff and front office and building and and Buffalo and cornerback Dante Jackson um, is a guy that I think is certainly available, I think is probably a fit with the Buffalo Bills uh, cover system, a good, you know, zone corner type player. He has a very cheap salary this year. He is under contract next year, but nothing guaranteed. Maybe you tweak that in in some form or fashion. But maybe he's one more name to monitor if they do want to make a move at cornerback. Yeah, he's only got a 1.59 cap hit this year and then next year 10.4. But as Brad said, you can still maneuver that or just throw him overboard if you're not happy with what you see over the last nine games. Brad, thanks as always for the time. Enjoy uh, keeping your ear to the ground on the rest of trade deadline day. Thank you. All right, that's Brad Spielberger joining us from Pro Football Focus, kind of giving us the 411 on what could be coming down the pike here on NFL trade deadline day. Yeah, Dante Jackson was a name that I had on my list. That's why I had his mm-hmm. that's why I knew what his like, cap wow. number was. Okay, Brownie. Um, uh, and he's got another year on his deal next year. And of course we all know the the Carolina to Buffalo pipeline that has existed ever since Brandon Ooh, Bean yeah. and Sean McDermott got here. Not that they know him. Mm-hmm. He, he got there long after those two were gone. Um, but there's still clearly some kind of connection going on between Buffalo's front office and that of Carolina. The other corner that I thought might be moved, because well, I was trying to go through like all of the teams that you know really aren't having great seasons and may look to shed some money. So in Green Bay is not having a great year. You know, they don't have a lot of win- – what are they, three and five, I want to say, maybe two and six. So, like, Rasul Douglas, the corner up there, I like him. Uh, big, tall, rangy corner, plays in the zone, and his cap figure is, like, less than a million right now. Wow. So I think he could be an affordable option if they wanted to look at him uh, and has played in zone defenses before, and he's also that tall, long guy that they like. He's 6'2", 209, has a nose for the ball. So I, I, I kind of – my eyes were kind of drawn to him a little bit, you know, in addition to the Jalen Johnson talk that we've heard and then Dante Jackson that uh, Brad just brought up. So that's, that's another name that I think could be considered because he's affordable, experienced in this kind of a system, uh, and he's not a rental because he still has – another year left on his contract next year, and it's even less than the cost for Dante Jackson. It's like eight and change next year. So, Because what we're looking at, Maddie, is the unknown 
with Tredavious White going forward. So you may not just be interested in a rental this year to cover for Tredavious White because we're talking about an ACL injury followed by an Achilles to the same leg. I mean, look, I I believe in Tredavious White as much as the next person, but that's that's a tough two years of rehab to kind of come back from and be the same guy come the start of next season. So for me – Maybe you kind of bank on a little more insurance, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's the big question is when he returns from this rehab process, whenever that may be, still has a lot of time left to go. Not until next season we won't see him. But what type of player are we going to get? We know it took Trey, you know, a ramp-up period once he started to get into the into games just like it would any other player, but we were finally starting to see some glimpses of the old all-pro all Tredavious White yeah. in some games this season, started to see it in training camp, and the coaching staff said, you know, he's really confident right now, he's he's putting in the time and the effort, and and we're starting to see this, this old version of himself, which is the best version of Tredavious White out on the field again. So what is that going to look like coming off of now two injuries? Hopefully, we, we see a Tredavious White that, that we know and love, the one that led the NFL in interceptions at one point, uh, but that's not, that's not a given. We don't know what, what's, what that's going to look like. So wanting to look for other cornerbacks, look for guys who, who can provide some depth in that room, I think is smart, whether it's going to be here, whether it's going to be at the end of the season. So the interesting thing about the Josh Dobbs trade, quickly here before we go to break, is – Dobbs gets shipped off to Minnesota. Okay, great. You presumably are getting some draft capital in return for him. But Kyler Murray isn't quite ready to play yet. So their rookie, Clayton Toon, is probably going to be the starter this week, according to reports. So not that that's a major issue, but it's kind of interesting. Like, it's going to make the trade now because it's the deadline. <laughs> like, the timing didn't line up perfectly no. for the Cardinals. But – Josh Dobbs was an effective rental for them. Mm -hmm. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't fantastic either, but at least he kind of helped them stay afloat, I guess, and tread water for the first half of the season. And then they probably hope that, you know, uh, Murray can get back in the lineup in the next couple of weeks here. But it's Clayton Toon this week probably uh, for the Cardinals out there. So that'll be uh, an interesting thing to see. I know they were excited about him in the preseason, but – Still, uh, still waiting on Murray, who I know they'd probably rather have in the lineup. Break time for us here. When Maddie and I come back, we'll get back to the phones, 803-0550. Who has surprised you the most on this Bills roster through the first half of the season? We want your answers on that next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Matty Glab with you here on a Tuesday. And we're talking about players that have surprised you the most on this Bills roster through the first half of the season. 803-0550 to jump on board. Let's go right back to the phones. And we go to Judy in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Judy? Well, so far I'm not surprised by anybody. But I'm impressed. I don't think he gets enough credit. Dan Dawkins has protected the quarterback. 
He has helped the run game. He has not incurred any significant penalties. And I, I just think that we need to give a little shout out to Dan Dawkins at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm all for that, Mandy. You just what are your thoughts on Dion? Yep, I think so Dion's had a great season so far. He's done a good job of protecting Josh Allen. I mean, the protection this year from the offensive line, I think, has been super consistent to start the season. We saw uh, another great game from them against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where Josh did average a, a way quicker time to throw. But when he needed time in the pocket, when he wanted time in the pocket, he had all day to make some throws. I think there was one deep ball to Khalil Shakir where Josh had like five seconds of time in the pocket to do what he wanted to do and nobody was leaking through and and that's props to guys like Deion Dawkins who who has been there and done that for several years and I think you're seeing an elevation of his play this season because of the guys that are around him who are also playing at a pretty high level so I think yeah I I would say his play has been awesome to see so far this season. Yeah, last week against Tampa, I kind of took note of it watching it happen in the run game. He, there are plays that they run where Dion will pull from his left tackle spot and come all the way around the right side of the formation as a lead blocker on runs off right tackle in that mid-zone run that they like to use. And I asked Eric about it, and actually we'll have Eric Wood um, or not, Eric, we'll have Dan Orlovsky coming up. We have Eric on Mondays. I'll be all right. Um, <laughs> but I asked Eric about it. I said, look, how often do we see that in run game schemes where a tackle pulls all the way across the line and gets outside on a kickout block to kind of create space for the running back to come through the hole? And he said, yeah. He goes, that's not a common practice by a lot of teams in the league, you know, there's maybe three, four guys that can do that. That just speaks to the athleticism of Dion and the versatility that he can give your run game scheme uh, when he can do that, get all the way across the formation and kick out before the running back gets to the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's a long way to go yeah. to get all the way out there for a 325-pound <laughs> dude, uh, but he can pull it off. So uh, I just think he gives them versatility in the run game in addition to the consistency uh, of his play. We are going to take a break here because when we come back, our number two, as I corrected myself, will be ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky making his weekly appearance here. We'll get his thoughts on the changes we witnessed on Thursday Night Football in Buffalo's offense, and we will also get a preview of just how much this Cincinnati offense has rounded into form of late and the challenge they present when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are on trade deadline day, hour number two. And uh, pleased to be joined now with his weekly appearance, as always, by NFL 
analyst for ESPN, Dan Orlovsky and Dan Segment. Brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, or coworkers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack, book your group event today at 500pearlbuffalo.com. All right, Dan, we're making the turn here at the midway point of the season, and it looks like the Bills have discovered something on offense based on their last performance against Tampa. They may go back to their roots to some degree, but some people feel they may have also defined some roles a little bit more effectively with what we saw from Kincaid the last two weeks and maybe a little bit of an emergence from Khalil Shakir. Yeah, I think that the challenge coming off of last week, so the good of last week, obviously, the tempo helped, 11 personnel a little bit more spread out. The execution was really good. Shakir in the slot was really good. I think the challenge for Ken, and we kind of talked about this last week, was like when that 11 personnel looks good and plays well, how do they mesh it into some of the 12 stuff when Dawson comes back? You know, So I think that's going to be their biggest challenge is, is – I don't know if there's a, a set answer, Chris. I don't know if it's like, hey, we got to live in 11 or we got to live in 12. I think a little bit is uh, opponent dependent. I think a little bit is how consistently can they play in that world. I think a little bit is, um, you know, how are they able to create explosives and, li- and, and find explosives in both of those personnel groupings. Um, but every time, not every time, but it certainly feels like Shakir has got a, a, a spot, a worthy spot for completion driven plays in that offense. So a uh, really good performance, much needed performance, but I don't know if, if I would walk away going, okay, 11 personnel is going to be who we are. Another factor of the offense was we saw a designed quarterback run for Josh Allen on that first drive of the game. He got to use his legs a little bit, and we heard from Sean McDermott afterwards, and he said that was a focus. We wanted to get him going like that again. How much do you think, or how important do you think it is for a quarterback like Josh Allen to to be able to use that facet of the game? Yeah, Maddie. So I remember two years ago when it was a little bit more prevalent, and I still very much so believe this when he's used in that capacity he's the most indefensible quarterback in football and that's said in respect with and everyone knows how highly I think of Patrick he's the best player I've ever seen in my life and Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson but when he Josh is used in that way it's almost impossible to stop him and I think the reason so the Reasons why they don't do that, I understand as more as, as much as they used to. I completely understand, and there's a lot of evidence and data um, and experience from Sean in Carolina that says you know you got to be really smart about how you're going to do it. I think there's two things that <clears throat> it matters when it comes to using it more for Josh. You got to do it right. I think number one, and you learn this a little bit when you call college football games. If you ever sat down with a really good college football coach and had who had a quarterback that was a really dynamic athlete, every one of them would tell you to get that guy into the flow of the game, they're going to call runs early on. They just do because they're different than your traditional dropback passer. If we if we talked about dropback passers, one of the things that coaches do is they say we got well, let's get him completions early to get him into the rhythm of the game you know these these ball completion efficient quarterbacks well Josh is, is is one of those dynamic quarterbacks and if you talk to a college coach to to what I'm saying like they'll tell you early on get him 
We want to get him involved in the game. He just settles into the game once he takes a hit or two in regards to that. So I think there's some credence to that in Buffalo with Josh. I think the second thing, and, and you guys are showing these clips of, in many ways, their completions. I They did not run a lot of different plays. They didn't. They ran like five or six different plays for the most part. They were I, I'm 10 plus, 12 plus RPOs. But I do think that when Josh plays, and he was just on with um, uh, Kevin Clark the other day and talking about like completions, 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 completions. When Josh plays in a way where he's just very focused on getting the ball out and throwing it to the right guy, indifferent of the situation, the explosive plays or the big plays or the playmaking opportunities present themselves so much more consistently. It's just the way the game goes in many ways. And I think there, that that is probably the thing that you you try to focus on if you're Ken Dorsey and, and Joe Brady. Yeah, and to the simplification point that you just made in terms of volume of plays that the Bills ran last week, Gabe Davis said going into the game, we want to simplify this week. And then coming out of the game, he said that's what we can be when we simplify things and just let guys play fast. We're that talented. I don't know if that's necessarily a hundred percent accurate answer but yeah I thought maybe the most interesting thing was I saw Gabe Davis run a quick slant maybe the for the first or second time in his Buffalo career I was like who's this guy yeah. underneath and they ran him on yeah. some some receiver screens because it's like all right let's get the 225 pound receiver running a receiver screen at least you know he can break a tackle or two and get some yards on his own so there were some different elements sprinkled in even though it was simple because they had different people kind of filling some unconventional roles than we're accustomed to seeing from them, Davis being a prime example. My question, though, going forward, is while that tempo stuff was all great, it requires an enormous amount of communication. they got to play on the road Sunday night in Cincinnati. How realistic is it yes. you're going to be able to do that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's if, if you are really good in your nonverbal communication and, and it's something that you can do see you're absolutely capable of doing it indifferent of where you're doing it you know outside of maybe you know Seattle or Kansas City Cincinnati will be loud but it's it's all about how comfortable you feel and your ability to kind of communicate I think that the, Chris the ways that you can do it are when you say hey we're going to start and once we get a first down we're going to get into it you know like you 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 get you're on defense you force a three and or whatever the other team punched the ball you start with your possession you get a first down and then we can get into it because the noise so often in that situation is not going to be that big of a deal the biggest focus is going to be how often or how much you can handle your third down package you know like you, you can call a lot of different plays from your base game plan on third and two and third and three in tempo because usually teams are going to be stuck in their defensive personnel but if you get to third and six and third and seven you probably want to have a little bit more game plan specific calls how many of those formations and certain sets that you're kind of referencing with Gabe a little bit last week can they get to without having to huddle uh, that's probably their greatest challenge and and usually the case is you have to huddle in those moments and that changes obviously the tempo i don't you know like there, there's there's a case to be made for running a lot of the same plays on a consistent basis with different interchangeable parts the the problem is you become predictable like you can become you know, there's they ran the same like two by two RPO and in, in three by one RPO like four or five times. It's you there is a predictability to that. Right. Now there's also a benefit to playing fast, but you better have 
you know, the 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 curveball and the changeup and the slider and all the different options off of those looks to make sure that you're not incredibly predictable with your types of plays. Yeah, so meshing that tempo with some of that unpredictability and some of the counters off of things, where do the Bills go from here offensively? Because we're sitting at week nine. They're about to have a tough stretch here with the Bengals, the Jets, the Eagles, and the Chiefs coming up in the next four to five weeks. What do you want to see from this offense as their identity really starts to take shape and take form? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one, obviously the, the 11 personnel probably is going to be the focal point for the next couple of weeks, obviously, with Dawson's injury. This, I'll speak to directly to their next, you know, four weeks before the bye. I think the identity of the Bengals um, is going to be, I'll tell everybody right now, this defensive coordinator is as good as there is in ball, Lou Anarumo for the Bengals. And he had Kyle Shanahan figured out. And Kyle Shanahan is one of the greatest and most creative offensive minds in football. He had him figured out. I promise you, he is going to multiple times have six or seven guys up at the line of scrimmage and then drop all of them. And they're going to rush two guys. They're going to rush three guys. They're going to have a ton of people in underneath coverage. And they're going to force Josh to be very patient. Force jo- They're going to force Ken Dorsey to call runs. They're going to force some of the RPO looks. That's a little bit of what Phil- excuse me, the Jets did to Philadelphia in their RPO game is you take it away before the snap with bodies at the line of scrimmage. So I think identity-wise, it's going to, that's, that's where some of the tempo will present itself. I think some of the perimeter screens have to be a little bit more of the conversation. I know, Chris, we've talked about that for a couple weeks now. You, you burn teams at that. All you need to do is hit them once for 15 or 20 yards, and then they're like, uh-oh. You know, that, that's a concern. The the, uh, the the Broncos are playing better defensively, but you should go and be able to execute on a consistent basis against Denver. Um, the Jets game, I would imagine Josh will complete you know seventy five plus percent of his passes in that game, especially after what we saw Week One. And then Philadelphia is a massive game just because Philadelphia is so physical, offensive and defensive lines. I think their identity has to be RPOs. I think it has to be a little bit of tempo. I think it has to be very ball distribution focused. Um, the challenge is going to be where did the cre- where, where did the chunk plays from? That that's going to be their challenge. Can they find ways to create chunk plays and design cr- chunk plays rather than be reliant on Josh to making them happen? Okay, so let's just look specifically at the next opponent here, Cincinnati, particularly on that defensive side of the ball, where I think we could agree the biggest change is at the safety positions this season. You know, both of the guys that started last year are elsewhere, departed in free agency, and now you have the former first-round pick Dax Hill and the veteran Nick Scott who comes over from the Rams. How have they meshed together through the first half of the season? Are there perceived deficiencies from the veteran duo that they had a year ago? They don't lie as well as Vaughn Bell and Jesse Bates did. You know, and what I mean by that is, and and they're not bad at it, but Vaughn and Jesse were unbelievable with lying to quarterbacks. You know, what's the coverage? You'd sit there. I would sit there and watch tape, and i go, I have no idea if this is cover four or cover three. I, I got no idea if this is cover two or cover four or cover six. You got no idea if it's cover three or cover three carry. And I know that's deep in the weeds, for, but they're different coverages, and they yeah. tell quarterbacks to do what with the football differently. Um And I remember I called the Cincinnati Rams game. I think it was week two of the NFL season, maybe week three. And Louie Anaruma, the defense coordinator, was like, 
very high on player like Dax Hill and even like DJ Turner and Cam Taylor Britt who are playing corner a little bit, but he was just like, they need to get playing time. They need reps and they need that, that communication that, Hey, if I do this, I need you to do this. And it's starting to show itself in Cincinnati. Hilton's playing awesome. Everybody's going to know about him. Right. They're nickel. So it, I would say the difference is not lying as well, Chris, but not poorly. And then Dax Hill is a different athlete, though. Like he is, he is a, with all due respect to Vaughn and Jesse, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I think they're two of the better safeties in ball. He's a different athlete. I mean, he he plays at a different speed than those guys did. And so the speed that he plays with and the tracking ability that he plays with um, and, and the ability to tackle in the open field is a big deal. And uh, their young secondary is starting to play really good football. The Bengals start the season 1-3. They are now 4-3. and three. They've won the last three games in a row, scored 31 points on the 49ers, scored 34 on the Cardinals. So they're starting to get to that high-efficiency offense again. Do you think they're back? Do you think we're going to see uh, another talented yeah. game from this offense? I know the Bills' defense will present some challenges, but just looking at their offense, do you think they're back to their winning ways? Resounding yes resounding and you started to see it just a little bit before the bye week and again i saying you know talking about cincinnati and everyone had felt had written them off or written them off and i was like dude all they have to do is to get the three and three i don't care what it looks like keep joe healthy and get the three and three in the bye and that showed itself this past week uh i i think the, the 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 overwhelming thing that stood out were the four or five snaps that Joe had to go create. They they ran quarterback draw with him. He got out of a crazy sack. He made three or four plays with his feet, and all of a sudden you sit there and go, if you're the rest of the seat, uh-oh. Because they were so, – and, and, and trying to get everyone to understand this, the calf injury for Joe affected everybody. It didn't just affect the quarterback. You know how hard it is to play offensive – line when everybody on the defense knows the quarterback is going to be six yards behind the center and that's it can't move or how much it affects the receiver so yeah he's all the way back um their offense looks all the way back jamar i i think like if you're looking at it from the buffalo perspective i think the thing that has to have obviously the movement is is has your attention the thing that has your attention is how they were very strategic attacking san francisco's nickel corner they, they sat there and said, hey, San Francisco, like you're going to play a ton of man, which is abnormal for them, and there's not a guy that we think can cover our guys. And it was like the Boyd touchdown early on, They it was 100% on a break tendency and with attack man coverage. Um, the Jamar touchdown, it's 100%. We just want to get him on the nickel. And I've said this to you guys, Buffalo's got to be really smart if they're going to play man coverage because the, the Cincinnati, obviously, and the talent they have on the perimeter – and the way that they're going about attacking certain people in man coverage is something that is very impressive. All right, so let's take that a step further, Dan, because the maybe the biggest change in this matchup from last year is McDermott's call on the defense now. So yeah. what have you seen, especially in the last two or three weeks from McDermott's defense, that might present something different to this Cincinnati offense, because I think everybody for the last four years has said, all right, well, the Bills are just going to line up in nickel, and here they come. Uh, there weren't a lot of surprises. There wasn't a lot of unpredictability. To what degree yeah. have they increased those quotients? And if you could, part two, 
the Taylor Rapp insertion, I mean, 38% in dime last week. How much do we expect to see that going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, talking about after the Tampa game, that was like the interesting thing defensively. We talked it about a lot on NFL Live with Ryan Clark. It was it was really good to see. It certainly helped in their pass coverage. And you you saw Poyer drop down. You saw Micah drop down. You know, um, um, Taylor was often one of the deep safeties, certainly the the single deep safety. And so you sat there and said, because the conversation, the the coverage, you know, how can they survive, you know, Milano and then Tredavious and his injury. And, you know, it, it, seemed, it seemed the answer, you know, against Tampa was they were going to play with those three safeties and have one of those very skilled veterans down in coverage, sometimes zone, sometimes man. It'll be really interesting to see if um, they do that versus Cincinnati. It makes a lot of sense to do it versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati does not get in a lot of unique personnels. They're going to live in a lot of 11 personnel as well, one back, one tight end. They'll live in a lot of RPO formations. They're very RPO-centric right now as well for their run in their quick passing game. It makes a lot of sense to play their three safeties. I just don't know how much sense it makes to play man. Um, and the last thing is Cincinnati's actually run the ball relatively well. And with those three safeties, you're light. You just are. And I, I, that, that has to have a little bit of attention right. as well. That, and that's the reason I asked it, because as we know in the playoff game last year, they yeah. ran all over them with three backup offensive linemen. Granted, the Bills didn't have Daquan Jones in that game either. They won't have him this week, as we know. Um, and, and I think the, bypro- the reason we're seeing dime is because they want a better answer in coverage because they don't have Milano. I don't think they feel yeah. like Dorian Williams is ready to make the right decisions and see the things fast enough he needs to to be a good 100%. coverage linebacker. And Dodson is just a little limited in his physical skill set to be a quality coverage linebacker. So Poyer and Hyde have been flipped into that role with this dime package. But to your point, Cincinnati, the way they ran the football on this team last year, that's a concern. You can't just sit in that dime all day. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. If Sean sits there and says, over the course of four quarters, to beat the Bengals or to give yourself the best chance to beat the Bengals, you got to stop the pass game first. You got to cover really well. You got to tackle really well. Again, the RPOs. I'll be very interested to see if they somehow think of deploying five defensive linemen and, and playing the three safety look. You know, it, just to sit there and go, protect a little bit, at least the initial surge of the line of scrimmage and allow a hat on a hat and maybe not as many offensive linemen that climb up to some of the lighter backer or safeties or secondary players that might have to be in the run conversation. That that would be something that I would sit there and say, if you're going to play those three safeties, which I understand, like I get it, I understand it. It's easy for us to sit here and say, well, yeah. got to figure out a replacement for Milano. Gosh, yeah, there's not a lot of humans on the planet that can. So um, that would be the one thing that I would, if I was the offensive team, if I was Cincinnati, that would be the wrinkle that I would go, okay, how do we handle that? The Bills on defense and the Bengals on defense are both top five in terms of taking the football away on offense. Both teams rank top ten in red zone efficiency. Bills are second and the Bengals are tied for ninth. Why are these two categories really important in a game like this? Yeah, uh, uh, because right now in the NFL, the scoring is down. And so every giveaway is going to be 
um, a little, almost like one and a half because the scoring is down, the explosive plays are down. So that's a big deal. And then obviously red zone scoring. The, the, the really interesting thing is the two teams do it differently. What's up, Mike T? Um, Cincinnati does it off of like precision. They're very precise in the red zone. And for a passing team, Mixon's been really good running the ball down there. And Buffalo does it from Josh just being a freak. And so more often than not. And so, you know, which one of those defenses can try to make that offense play a little bit left-handed or to their B game or the less desired style is, is probably going to be the most important thing. But when you, when explosive plays are down and red zone scoring is down and get takeaways, um, you know, have such a tremendous amount of impact when it comes to lesser possession scoring, all that stuff, it, I hate those kind of cliches in the NFL because I feel like I'm paid to do so much more than tell people that it'll come down to turnovers. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I try to sit there and tell everybody like it's what the turnover leads to, you know, if Josh throws two interceptions and the defense finds a way to get off the field, well, the turnovers never happened um, in my eyes. And so I think that's the thing is like, you know, when the turnover happens, how it happens and what, does the other team do with it is probably the biggest focus point. Dan, thanks as always for the time. We appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All Enjoy right, Sunday. Dan Orlovsky joining us. Sunday night football, Bills, Bengals. He's breaking it down. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very curious because they they started using some dime again against the Patriots two weeks ago. Right. But it was only like six or eight snaps of it. And keep in mind, that was when Dorian Williams starts the game and gets sent to the sidelines, and they brought Dodson in. Then they tried Dime after that. And then they get to the Thursday night game four days later, and they play 38 snaps, or sorry, 38% of their snaps Mm -hmm. were in the Dime package. So really, really interesting change on a short week to see it increase to that degree. And I wonder what the plan is this week for Cincinnati, just knowing how dynamic they are on offense. And you think about what Sean McDermott says all the time when we ask him about lineup changes and and maybe what they're in and and why they decided to do that. And a lot of the times the answer falls back to it's because of who I trust the most. I'm putting the guys in that I trust the most, that I trust that can make the plays, that know the offense or defense and can be impactful in it. And if – those are the guys he trusts more than other guys, then maybe we're going to see some more dime looks, especially coming against a team that is starting to get back to their old ways and Mm -hmm. can score a lot of points. And and there's multiple guys on the outside that you have to shut down. So maybe you want to use a couple more DBs in there. But I thought it was interesting, Dan Rolovsky's point about maybe trying that look with another defensive lineman so you can get that push at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So just basically one linebacker on the mm-hmm. field, which is presumably Bernard, and then, yeah, five in the back covering and then five up front. It, that, that would be wacky. Like, <laughs> haven't seen it before, but sometimes necessity is the mother of invention here. And without players like a Milano or a Tredavious White or even a Daquan Jones, sometimes you have to dip into that bag of creativity to come up with a unique answer in a specific game plan for a specific opponent. 
And then cross your fingers and hope it works. <laughs> right. And to that point, though, I think it's, yes, it's not a positive that the Bills do have to go into the bag of creativity and try to figure something out because we wish they had Matt Milano and Daquan Jones in there. But I do think it's positive in that they're able to do that. They have the pieces to be able to switch things around and still be very efficient as a defense and still be able to take the ball away at a high rate and be able to rush the quarterback and sack the quarterback at a high rate. If you're looking at other defenses across the NFL, there's not a lot of defenses that can switch on a short week to play a whole lot more dime and allow, what What did they allow, 17 points? 18. 18 points? Yeah. yeah. And on top of that, what they have this week is more time. They had a mini-buy, but the coaches essentially had three extra days to prepare for Cincinnati. So lying in wait and maybe getting a little more creative with the defensive game plan for this Bengals team, which is very quickly rounding into form here at just the right time as we come down the back stretch of the schedule. We're going to take a break here, but when we come back, your phone calls and some comments on the tweet sheet. Halfway point of the season, which Bills player has surprised you the most? You let us know at 803-0550, Got open lines for you there. Give us a call. We'll chat with you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award. Week 9 winners in the Buffalo Region Section 6, Star Points Tim Racy, after leading the Spartans to a 16-14 win over Williamsville North in the first round of the Class A playoffs. In Section 5, the Rochester Region Coach of the Week is Brighton Steve Leon after his team defeated Arondecoit 15-13 in the first round of the Class A playoffs. Low-scoring affairs there the postseason. Each Coach of the Week winner will receive a $1,000 grant from the Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports. We do have a trade alert, people. There is another trade this time. It's an offensive lineman. The Vikings are trading guard Ezra Cleveland, the guy that uh, Brad Spielberger mentioned in our first hour of the show as a possible trade candidate, to the Jaguars. So according to sources, the uh, former second-round pick goes to Jacksonville, and he's going to rejoin the offensive line coach he had earlier in his career in Minnesota. Phil Rauscher is now down there with the Jags. So the Jags fortify their offensive line. So got about 90 minutes to go, and... What do you got, Maddie? You got some updates on Jalen Johnson here? What's going on? Yeah, so I uh, follow a couple Bears people on Twitter since that's the team I was born and raised uh, watching. And one of uh, the guys who covers that team and has for a while says that the Bears have put a high asking price on the cornerback Jalen Johnson. So we'll have to wait and see if something happens, whether it's the Bills, whether it's another team, if anybody wants to kind of engage in trade talks when it happens to be a high asking price. And knowing that his agent is kind of the one involved in the trade talks, you have to believe he is also trying to secure a team as a trade candidate that's also interested in signing him to a contract extension, Mm -hmm. knowing he's in the final year of his deal. So what assurances teams can give on that front may also be part of this equation here to factor in. It might not just be, hey, 
we're pretty close to the compensation, but we just want him as a rental. I would think that most people interested in Jalen Johnson, a former second-round draft choice, don't want to give up a, a significant asset unless they do plan to sign him to a contract extension. Mm-hmm. And then what is that? Right. So in addition to maybe coming up with a trade package, some pre- preliminary parameters may have to be discussed between the agent and the team interested in him on a contract extension as well, which is certainly an added fly in the ointment. It doesn't make mm-hmm. it easier. It makes it harder to accomplish. So we'll see what happens between now and 4 o'clock. But we do want to get back to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board. Got open lines for you as we approach the halfway point of the season. Which Bills player has surprised you the most? To the phones we go, and to Mike in Alden. What do you got for us, Mike? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, Brownie. Hey, Matt. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we got you. All right. Um, so to me, the obvious the obvious one is going to be Terrell Bernard. But a guy, I, I thought about it, and I said, a guy that's really stood out to me is A.J. Epinesa. Mm. This guy's flying around. He's playing at an elite level. He doesn't get every snap. But when he's out there, he's leaving it all on the field. I mean, he's batting balls. I mean, every time I see 57 on the field, I'm like, yes, here we go. Like, he's clutch. And uh, I just think he's a really good player. He shocked me this year. Uh, I didn't see it coming. And uh, I'm really excited to see his future. I think they're going to put a good price tag on him next year. I hope we don't lose him. Um, yeah. I'll hang up. Yeah, Get yeah. No, that's a good That's a good call mm-hmm. there, Mike. Um, AJ is a guy I thought of. I was wondering if somebody was going right. to call in and say, hey – but yeah, he's having a career year, and fortunately for him, he's tied it up right because, as Mike mentioned, this is the last year of his rookie deal. And to Mike's point also, you, when you look at playing time, you know, the next day after the game in the game book uh, online, he's a rotational guy. He's not a guy getting the bulk of the snaps, and yet he's still productive anyway. And, I mean, he had a stretch there where he was routinely batting passes down uh, week after week after week. He's got six pass breakups on this season already, including one interception that he returned for a touchdown against Washington. So he's been a menace and finally is coming into his own and in the form that I think the Bills had hoped for when they drafted him four years ago. Yeah, five sacks through eight games played. He had six and a half sacks last season. Saw a lot of those sacks kind of come at the end of the season last year, but good to see him close to his career high already and halfway through the season here. It's been nice to see what he's been able to do. I know this is this is a guy that uh, people in the locker room have wanted to root for and root for because he is a, a great guy. There's several great guys on this team, and for him to do it in the last year of his rookie deal, I mean – We'll see what the Bills want to do. It would be awesome to have him here um, long-term and have him here for a few more years at least if he's making this type of impact. I love his athleticism that he provides at the line of scrimmage, being able to bat those passes down. He's really smart when it comes to knowing knowing when to put his hands up in the passing lane because that's not the easiest thing to do um, to decide, okay, this is when I need to get up and bat the ball down. Uh, so love the production that we've got from him so far, hoping that it continues as well. I'm happy for him for sure. He leads the team in pass breakups. Just think about that. <laughs> He's got six pass breakups. No, nobody else on the team has five. So that's pretty darn impressive considering he's a defensive lineman, not a defensive back, and he's tied for second on the team in sacks with Ed Oliver with five. Leonard Floyd, obviously the team leader 
at six and a half. So a very productive season with not a high ratio of snaps. So talk about maximizing your time on the field. Uh, AJ has certainly done that. 803-0550, the number to get on board. Uh, if you've got a player that we haven't mentioned yet that has surprised you the most, but I think AJ is a good candidate for sure. I mentioned Terrell Bernard. Maddie said Leonard Floyd as a newcomer to the team. Uh, but if you have another person, we also had Osiris Torrance that was mentioned. Uh, Deion Dawkins has had a very strong season. So Judy from Buffalo mentioned him earlier in the show. But let's go back to the tweet sheet to see other candidates that are listed here. And Kevin says... Terrell Bernard's performance has exceeded my expectations. Yeah, a lot of splash play numbers in the defensive categories for Terrell Bernard for sure. Leads the team in fumble recoveries, tied for the team lead in forced fumbles, has some interceptions as well. So he's really done a heck of a job. Drew on uh, the tweet sheet, and it's Drew Hull. Is this Ken Hull's son? Holy cow, that's cool. He says, A.J. Epinesa. The guy has come out of nowhere and shown to be a force on the pass rush this season. Yeah, we covered that for sure. Joseph says, A.J. Epinesa and Terrell Bernard, it's a tie. (laughs) Bernard became, uh, we didn't know what we had as he played little as a rookie. A.J., because going into year four, he did very little. But boy, did he come in this year and open my eyes. And when you think about it, Maddie, when you get two draft choices making an impact like that, it kind of tips the scales Mm -hmm. in your unit's favor because Bernard's out there full-time, as we know. But even Epinesa, as a rotational player, there's no drop-off when the starters go out. Yeah, I mean, that's what this staff wants to do, draft, develop, and re-sign. You you draft a guy here for a reason, and then you hope that it pays off, and you hope that you can get production out of him, and you hope that you're able to develop him to the point that you want to re-sign him to the roster when it comes time for a second deal. And to see Terrell Bernard and AJ Apinesa trending in that way and, and trending in a way of, hey, maybe we should keep you around here. I think we should keep you around here because you've been uh, a, you've been helping this unit on this defense operate at at a high level and speaking of pass rushers we have another trade alert maddie the san francisco 49ers are trading for for washington pass rusher chase young now it hasn't been is it final i don't oh yep it's done it's for a third round pick holy moly so washington throwing some pass rushers overboard like San Francisco needed another pass rusher. Seriously? I know. Seriously. Like Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, and now Chase Young. <laughs> what in God's name is going on here? Yikes. And here's the interesting thing. You hear all the time, like remember when L.A. got the, the rap, like we mm-hmm. don't care about draft picks yeah. and that whole thing? I think San Francisco has superseded them. Because this is like the third year in a row now they have swung big at the trade deadline. Christian McCaffrey last year, now Chase Young. I mean, this is like, – and it's not just like, oh, yeah, we're going to get this role player who's going to help us. Like, front-line players yeah. they trade for. Mm-hmm. It's – I mean, jeez. Big they lose three in a row and it. lose three in a row, and they're like, oh, my God, we got to get a we pass we got to do something here. <laughs> Let's go grab Chase Young, and it's for a third-round pick, according to sources. So. Wow. That is uh, – that's impressive. 
And now Washington's going to be loaded in the draft. The key now is you got to hit on those picks. So they've got an extra two and an extra three now going into next year's draft. Because from what I can – yeah, there hasn't – well – I shouldn't say that because they haven't put a year on that third-round pick yet. Right. I'm assuming it's I, next I, year. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would think that would be the play. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see. Wow. So the two biggest deals are pass rushers from Washington going to Chicago yeah. and San Francisco, respectively, for a second and a third-round pick. So those are the big trades of the day, and Washington is involved in both of them. Pretty crazy stuff there, but I guess that I guess this pretty much confirms that Washington is going to be moving their cap dollars to another position group besides the defensive line, right. where they have paid Deron Payne big time money, and where they have paid Jonathan Allen big time money. They're two defensive tackles, but they're two ends who are coming up on contracts here in the not-too-distant future, they said, you know what, we're probably not going to pay those guys giant top-of-the-market money. Let's get some draft assets now and replenish that way. They may very well use one of those picks on a pass rusher Mm -hmm. uh, come the spring. They don't have to pay a quarterback, though, anytime soon if they're sticking with Sam Howell because even if they don't like Sam Howell, they would be drafting one and they would be paying that guy a rookie salary. So... You know the money's not going to quarterback, whether they keep Sam Howell or draft somebody. So I wonder where they invest the money. They got a lot of first round picks at the receive first and second round picks at the receiver position, Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin. So they've got guys on on rookie deals there, although they'll have to play pay McLaurin soon, and maybe that's the one. But uh yeah, I I, I really am curious now to see where Washington chooses to to take the money that many people thought would be invested again in the defensive line and where it goes positionally uh, on that roster. Yeah, you you think the quarterback, Sam Howell, if that's who they're going to stay with. I mean, he's he's got a couple more years. Yeah. So the first person that I would think of is Terry McLaurin, like you said. Maybe maybe money is being allocated to there, being thought about whenever that, that needs to come about, that, oh, we're going to have to push some money over into his corner. Uh, but, yeah, they've got draft picks, and they're freed up of, of two players who would require some big-time salaries. As talented as that defensive line has been, for some reason, they just have not been able to carry Washington. Like, you think about the defensive line in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that defense wins games for them. It's an identity. And, and that's why they're able to run the ball as much as they can because they have a defense that's not going to let the other team run away from them mm-hmm. So or throw away from them, whatever way you want to put it. You can't say that about Washington. Super talented, but I don't know what it is. They just don't maximize the talent level that existed across that front and Bills fans saw it firsthand when they waxed them 37 to 3. Yeah, I remember going into that game and you know, we're talking about the defensive line and and knowing what they can do, but also knowing that they at that point in the season hadn't done too much to be that worried about, yeah. but also respecting these are all a bunch of names and a bunch of first round picks, so you got to respect what they're capable of doing, but didn't see it play out like that. Break time for us here. We'll have more trade updates as they come in. One more segment to go here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, closing things up here on a Tuesday on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you, and we've got a couple of more comments on the tweet sheet here. Sean says, my choice is Spencer Brown. Haven't heard his name, and for an offensive lineman, that's a good thing. I would say that, you know, there were times early in the season where they gave him some help, especially against some premier pass rushers, and it's going to be a challenge this week against this duo that Cincinnati rolls out there. But he's been steady. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's been steady for most of the season. So I actually like that pick from yeah. Sean. And I know he's had a couple of tough off seasons coming off of injuries and, and trying to have a full healthy off season under his belt to feel like um, he can progress as an NFL player. You know, that's hard at the start of your NFL career. And that's one thing we heard from Brandon Bede when asked about um, Spencer Brown is, hey, give him give him a healthy off season. And let's see what he can do. And it's been really nice uh, to be able to see him in the offensive line unit and hold Holding up his own. Jess says, Ed Oliver for sure. I didn't know what to expect after he signed his big contract, but he has really come through. Go Big Ed, go Bills. Yeah, it's the week-to-week consistency that has changed. We saw flashes of that ability, but never down in, down out, series in, series out, week after week after week. He has been a monster. Yeah, he leads the team with 10 tackles for loss so far. He's been a force up there. He's been a threat. Opposing offenses, I think, are scared of what he can do. And he is so fun to watch when he's playing at a high level. He's so fun to interact with, too, when he's playing at a high level. I mean, seeing some of those clips of mic'd up clips or him in games, he's just having so much fun when he gets a sack and he does the rodeo, ride him, cowboy, as you say. I love it. Zipper says, I would throw Khalil Shakir in there. Ten targets, ten receptions this season. And then Kapazi says, James Cook. I'm not used to the Bills having a run game. Uh, (laughs) Cook's been impressive. He's among the league leaders in rushing yards very quietly. That's it for us today. Maddie, thanks for helping us out these last two days. Steven, tomorrow we'll see you at one.